Well, today we, uh, we are celebrating communion, the Lord's Supper. Uh, we do it a little different here than in most places. Uh, and that's just a choice I've made in, in my ministry. Whenever we celebrate communion, uh, we try to make it the focus of the service. I, I believe it's that important. Uh, I believe uh, that it, it shouldn't be something we tack on the end or something we tack on the beginning, but it should be the focus. In the, in the early church, this was the focus. I mean, it literally was. Uh, they, they celebrated uh, the Lord's Supper, communion. Uh, there's a lot of different names, but they celebrated it uh, every time they met. Now, we don't do that, and, and, and there are churches that do, and that's fine. It's, it's not a... Jesus didn't say we had to do it every time we met. Okay, He said, you just do this in remembrance of me. You do this and remember what I've done. And so we do it a little bit different. There, there'll be some things that maybe there won't be any stoic guys with suits and ties on uh, that, that crowd around the table up here, look more like the church family in a few minutes ago. Usually we have some young people that help us, but today they're, they're doing that. We typically keep our children from, age, uh, from grades uh, one through five in here this Sunday, and our students are here because we want them to to come to understand what this meal means. And I've said this almost every time I've, I've preached on this. But I grew up, and this was a mystery to me, okay? I, I just, it, it terrified me. I'll just be straight up. It scared me because, number one, it looked like there was a body up here under this cloth, <laughs> all right? I mean, so, and, and it was quiet, and, and I mean, it was, you could, you could hear each other breathe. It was so quiet. And then typically the pastor, you know, he would, he would thunder on those verses about examining yourself because if you partake of it in, in a wrong way, you know, you're taking death in basically. And so it just, it scared me. And it was always at the end of the service and it was like we'd run out of time. And, and so when I began to, you know, consider what God was calling me to do, and I began to study this meal and begin to study baptism, both of those things, I realized what a rich teaching is there, what a rich meaning is there. And the sad thing is, 2,000 years later, most people don't fully understand it. It's a mystery. And we'll talk a little bit about that today. But today we're going to celebrate Jesus. And we're going to celebrate our relationship with Him uh, through what I was taught through the ordinance, uh, through the through the. Uh, it's it's not a ritual. I want you to understand that this is not a ritual. Okay. Now it has been turned into a ritual, but it's not a ritual. It's it's a it's a meal in which we sit down and we eat with our God. Okay. That that's literally what it is. This this is this is a, a, a the the Old Testament when the when the children of Israel would bring their sacrifices, their thanksgiving sacrifices, uh, especially, uh, they would, the, the priest would keep some, they would put some on the altar, and then the, the family would take some. And they would go to a quiet place in the, in, the, in the temple surrounds or in the tabernacle surrounds, and they would have a meal. And what they were doing is they were having a meal with, their, with God. They were celebrating their thanksgiving. They were worshiping God through that meal. And so we'll, we'll talk about this in a minute, but Jesus instituted this as a symbol of the new covenant. Every time we do this, we're reminding ourselves that we don't live under the old law. We don't, we don't live under a covenant of death. We live under a covenant of life. 
And it's out of that old covenant that this new covenant was birthed. It was out of the, the Passover meal that they celebrated every year on the same date uh, in the same way. It was out of that meal that Jesus instituted this meal. Those are the roots. Those are the foundations. But those are not the meanings. This, this meal has, a, has one meaning. And uh, we're going to look at that today. But, but this celebration also binds us. It connects us to Jesus. Okay, We're 2,000 or so years removed from when Jesus walked on this earth. Yet, He said, every time this is done, you'll remember what I have done. And so we tie ourselves, we bind ourselves to Jesus. We connect ourselves with that very first church that we spent the last few weeks and months talking about in Jerusalem. We, we connect with them. We connect with, with those 12 apostles. We, we connect with the earliest believers of the church who, who declared without apology that Jesus Christ is Lord. And every time we do this, we declare that. We, we celebrate this. And, and this celebration kind of flows out of the roots of who we are as Christians. This is, this, is not, uh, this is not something that a denomination handed down. This is not something that, that the government decreed or that some religious organization said we ought to celebrate. This is what Jesus gave us. He gave us two requirements, okay? Baptism, the Lord's Supper. Those are the only... He didn't leave us a list of things. I don't know if, if you've ever read Leviticus, but th those Old Testament folks had a bunch of things they had to do. Amen? I mean, a bunch of things. We just have two things that, that He wants us to celebrate that are, are pictures. They're, they really are pictures. They're, they're, they're symbolic. They're, they're more than symbolic, but they are symbolic. They, they speak to, to the, what Jesus did and they remind us what Jesus did. In other words, baptism and, and, and the Lord's Supper point us to Jesus. They reflect Jesus for us just like a mirror does. And so every time we celebrate this, or every time we have a baptism, it, it, it's a mirror of what Jesus did for us. And so we want to celebrate that today. It, it was Jesus who, who, uh, who on the night before He was crucified, as, as they participated that night in, in the Passover meal, as they remembered what God had done for, for the nation of Israel, and He took them from slaves to freedom, and how He, he passed over their homes. When he visited, when the death angel visited the firstborn, he passed over their homes. Why? Because they had put the blood on the on the lentils and the doorposts. He passed over. He saw the blood. He passed over. And so th this meal, that meal had significance in point us, pointing us to this meal. And so Jesus is is celebrating that Passover meal with his disciples, uh, with his his closest friends and they're they're going through the meal and there are certain things that they eat and there's a certain order if you've ever been to a, a seder you know what i'm talking about but there's certain there's a certain way that they do it and uh they they get to the place though at the end and jesus changes things and he basically tells them that uh that uh i'm going to give a new meaning to what we're about to do. And we're going to use some of the elements that are in the old meal, but some of the elements are no longer going to be a part of this. There's going to be two elements. 
There's going to be bread, there's going to be wine. And he shares with them what that means. And he talks about the new covenant that he is, he is going to, to ratify in his, with his body, his body that will be broken and with the blood that will be shed. Every covenant in the Old Testament was, was made with blood. That was, that was the solemn way they sealed it. They would seal it with the blood of a, with a, blood of a, a goat or a sheep or a bull. It was, it was done through blood. Jesus seals this sacrifice with His blood. With His blood. And so in essence, what we are doing today, and we don't think this way, but this is, this is how an Old Testament believer would have thought. We're renewing our covenant with God. We're coming to the table again. We're not crucifying Jesus again. We're just celebrating what Jesus has already done. Hebrews tells us he only had to do it one time. So we don't re-crucify Jesus. We just celebrate what he's done. In Mark chapter 14, verse 22 through 24, this is what Jesus told his disciples that night. He says, and while they were eating, they were eating the Passover meal. He took some bread. And after a blessing, he broke it. He, He tore it down the middle. And if you, you continue to read the, the story of Jesus, especially after the resurrection, you know how they recognized Jesus? By the, way, by the way, he broke bread. The disciples on the road to Emmaus after the resurrection walked with him and he, he taught them beginning in the Old Testament all the way through uh, what the Christ would have to do. And, and they didn't get it. Okay, And then they, they invited him in to eat. They sat down. And they said, hey, how about you breaking the bread? How about you, you, you praying the prayer? And when he broke the bread, they recognized it was him. And so Jesus broke the bread and he gave it to each of them. And he said, take, take it. This is my body. And when he had taken the cup and given thanks, he gave it to them. And they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Jesus is, 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 is taking the Passover meal and He's transforming, transforming it into the communion meal, the Lord's Supper. This is the Lord's Supper. This is not, this is not as I said, this is not our supper. This is the Lord's table. Okay, And by that, this is, this is not our table. This is not Eagle Wing's table. This is not some church's table. This is the Lord's table. This is not a a table of a denomination or any religious group. This is the table of Jesus Christ. And Jesus opens that table to anyone who knows Him as Lord and Savior. Yes, there are some restrictions to participating in this meal. That is, you need to be saved. You need to know Him as your Lord and Savior. But you know what? That's on you. That's not on me. Because I can't look into your heart and know. And Jesus doesn't expect me to do that. And so the only requirement Jesus institutes for this meal, for for our uh, participation, is that you know Him as your Lord and your Savior. Uh, We practice what is called open communion. Meaning that anyone who chooses to participate may participate. Okay? In, in history past, many groups have, have uh, practiced closed communion. Uh, that's up to them, okay? I don't make those rules. I just grew up in a, in a, uh, in a, a, a group that practiced open communion, and I believe that's what Scripture teaches. Although, listen, the early church, 
they made sure when a person committed themselves to Christ and confessed Jesus, they made sure they were saved, okay? We, we, we have this idea that thousands and thousands came in and, and they, they, they said this, they were baptized and that was the end of it. No, sir, they, they went through some, some testing and some trying, okay? And, 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 and through those first two or three centuries of the church, the church was very diligent in, in, in testing the salvation of someone before they baptized them. I, I've been studying... In, in a couple of areas which I'm not going to share this morning, but one of them is in the area of baptism. And, and one of the things the early church believed was that, uh, that they needed to make sure a person was saved before they baptized them because they, it was their understanding that when they were baptized, they were sealed. Now, we believe that the Holy Spirit comes, He seals us, but there was also a physical sealing. And so they were very careful in what they did. But we have chosen to practice an open communion, which means the, the quietus, I think that's the southern term, is on you. All right? I don't have, it's up to you. You're the one that has to stand before God. And so we practice an open communion. Listen, this meal is not for perfect believers. Okay? I want you to listen to me. You don't have to be perfect to participate in this meal. You just have to be saved. Okay? One of these days, we will be perfected. But we're all struggling with it right now. Amen? Amen. Amen. At least everybody answered. It wasn't just a lot of joy there. But, <laughs> but at least everybody answered. Listen, none of us are perfect. Okay? None of us are without sin. We're all growing. And we're, we're becoming more like Jesus. Jesus is conforming us to His image, which means He's pressing that mold down. And, and there are days when it hurts really bad. But when it's hurting, it's squeezing stuff out of me, and it's squeezing stuff out of you that's not like Jesus. And so Jesus is at work. It's, his job was to save us, and His job is to keep us. And in that process of keeping us, He is sanctifying us. He is making us holy. Our job is to say yes, 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 yes. Never no, and never but. Those are the two words, and I've told you this before, we never use with God. But God. No, we don't use that one. And we don't use no. We just say yes. And when we say yes, God continues to conform us. He continues to transform us. You know what? If you know Jesus today as your Lord and your Savior, the reality of it is, according to Scripture, is your sins, past, present, and future, have already been paid for. Payment's already been made. We have already been given by God the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The thing I see that happens very often in Christians and and, and not just new believers, but old believers' lives, is they think that they have to do something. Okay, they have to make God happy. they got to placate God. God's angry. They've messed up. Listen, God gave us the righteousness of Jesus Christ when we came to faith, when we were born again. That righteousness was imputed to us. It was given to us. It's a, it's a legal term. It's a judicial term. God put Jesus' righteousness in our bank account. We don't deserve it, but we got it. Amen? And so, you know, we desire to be holy. We desire to live godly lives. 
But you know what? When, when I mess up, and I do every day, I don't go have to ask Jesus to come back into my life because He doesn't leave. He simply forgives me. And that fellowship is restored. But that righteousness doesn't change. He, Jesus is not an Indian giver. Y'all know what an Indian giver is? We give it, we snatch it away. We give it, we snatch it away. We give it, we... He, he's not that way. When He gives something, He gives it. Okay? And He has given us His righteousness and His salvation eternally. Alright? I will say this. If there's any sin in your life this morning, hey, you know it, right? Then sometime between now and when we do this, just ask God to forgive you. Just ask and you say, well, Nelson, it just can't be that easy. Well, listen, it's not anybody else's business anyway. It's between you and God. I don't care what you did. You sinned against God, ultimately. And so therefore, if we've done that, we need to ask Him to forgive us. It's none of my business. You don't have to, the Bible doesn't tell us we have to tell somebody else. It just says we need to go to God and we need to confess it. 1 John 1, 9, I love what, uh, what this, this verse states. It says, if we confess our sins, if we agree with God that what God says is sin is sin and we have participated in that sin, then, if we do that, then He's faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins. Now, it would be wonderful if it stopped right there. Okay? Just to have forgiveness. To know that I'm forgiven. But it doesn't stop there. He says, He, says, he is righteous to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He washes the garbage that gets on us off. I mean, he gives us a bath in, in something that's, that, that, that's more powerful than intensified Tide or Clorox, okay? Any of y'all ever been bleached? Y'all know what I'm talking about. He bathes us in the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus takes away every stain. Every believer in this room has, has received that. And all we have to do when we, when we fail, when we sin, when we do something we know we shouldn't have done or we realize we've done something that we shouldn't have done is just to confess it. God, you said this was sin and I did it. And I'm sorry. Boom. Just like that. God says, what sin? Well, God, I got it all over me. I don't see anything. The Old Testament says that that God casts our sins behind Him. Do y'all know God doesn't live with His eyes looking in a rearview mirror? I want you to think about this for a minute. Scripture says God is eternal. He's always been. He will always be. God created time. Okay, So He's not bound by time. Time means nothing to Him. So with Him there is no past present, and future. Everything is now. When he puts it behind him, as a pastor I once had said, he never goes back into that pond and goes fishing. It's gone. It's done. My goodness, what if we could do that? 
Wouldn't that be sweet? Well, we're supposed to do that. Okay, that's why He did it, so that we could do it. If He didn't do it, then we couldn't do it. The Bible does not say He forgets it. Okay? That's a mistranslation and a misinterpretation of a passage. He doesn't forget it because He cannot forget it. He's God. You can't forget it, right? We can't. But we can put it behind us and not drag it up every time we feel some pressure or we mess up or, or we're around somebody that reminds us of that sin. We don't have to dredge it back up. It's, it's gone. It's, it's dealt with. It's covered by the blood of Jesus. I had a, I probably can't tell this story, but I had a, a, a person in, in seminary that we had a class with, and basically that person's job was to shrink us, to get inside our heads, and, uh, you know, they were preparing us for ministry, okay? So it was to get inside our heads and see if we had any deep, dark secrets. And there was an old boy in one of my classes that I had with this person. and She was doing her best to, to shrink his head. And he said, he told her, he, he, he named her name, Miss So-and-so. She, he said, all that stuff's under the blood of Jesus. Why in the world would I go back there? <laughs> kind of dumbfounded her for a while. She moved on, Okay. <laughs> But we've been forgiven. If we've been forgiven, then we've also been cleansed. And there have been a lot of moments in church history that are not bright spots, okay? I'm teaching a course right now at Desperation College on the doctrine of the church. And we've we've been looking for the last couple of weeks uh, at at the medieval church and the the early church and and then the church of today. And and there have been some moments in church history that are just not very good, okay? The problem is most people don't know about those moments because for most people, church history begins the moment they get saved. They don't understand anything about the past from whence we've come. And if we don't understand our past, guess what we do? We repeat it. And listen, you can see it, After you study it a little while, it's over and over and over. We do the same things over and over again. And there have been moments in in church history where this meal has been abused, okay? It's been abused through the ignorance of church members, all right? And I'll give you an example of that. And it's also been used as a tool by, by those in leadership to abuse, to control. It's interesting, the church in Corinth receives a a pretty strong rebuke and correction from the Apostle Paul. They had a few problems, okay? One of which was they were not unified. That was the main problem. And out of that disunity, there were a lot of other things happening. And Paul writes, and, and we typically use that passage, part of that passage, when we celebrate communion. But, but Paul writes, there's a, there's a, there had been a, an issue with, with the Lord's Supper, with communion. There were some folks that were getting there early. Okay? And they were eating all the bread. And they were drinking all the wine. And guess what? When everybody else got off work and got there, there were no bread, there was no wine, and there were drunk church members. And Paul writes to them. They were abusing it. They were abusing it out of ignorance. Okay? They were abusing it. And so Paul writes to them, and, and he, he, he speaks to them on that and gives them correction on that. He does that in, in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, if you want to read about that. But that's not the only 
misuse of it. it it's been misused and, 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 and in the early church and uh, the medieval church, there was, there was always argument over whether this is the literal body of Jesus or it's symbolic of the literal body of Jesus. It is the body of Jesus, all right? Symbolically, I believe. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. But there, was, there were theologians on both sides of the issue that said, no, this is the body of Jesus. And so that debate went back and forth until probably about the 11th century. And, and one of the priests said, it's not the body of Jesus. And, and what happened over the next hundred years is they had a church council. And the, the council is known as the Council of Trent. And they settled that argument in the, in the Roman church. They settled it with a doctrine that's called transubstantiation. I don't know if you know what that means. I'm going to explain it to you, okay? <laughs> transubstantiation, all right? And, and, and the doctrine means that when the bread and the wine are lifted up and the priest prays over it, that they literally become the body and the blood of Jesus. Now, they remain bread they remain wine, but they are the literal body and blood of Jesus Christ. Y'all understand what I'm saying? Okay. There's a transformation of the substance. That's what transubstantiation means. That literally, in the Roman Catholic view, this is the body and the blood. Once the priest elevates what they call the host, and they pray. That's why you will never see them dump out the wine or dump out the bread. Somebody will drink the wine and they will eat the bread somewhere. Okay? And so th- th- what happened is, 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 is that, that, that theology crept into the church. And in the medieval church during the Dark Ages when most people couldn't read or write, they didn't know what Scripture said, so they had to listen to their leaders. They had to listen to the priests and the bishop and, and, the, and the pope. And, and what happened is, is, is that this meal became a tool to control people with. This meal, along with baptism, was the way you kept your salvation along with works. And what, what happened at different periods of time is, is that the cup would be withheld. They only got half the meal. Okay? The only person who got the whole meal was the priest. So he was pretty well sure he was going to heaven, but everybody else has a whole lot of doubt. Okay? You say, well, how can they do it? They don't have the Word of God, folks. I don't, I don't know if we can grasp this. They didn't have one of these. They couldn't go to the bookstore and get one of these. The only ones that were there were written in Latin, and nobody spoke Latin except for the priests. It was a dead language. And so people don't know that. All they know is, if I don't partake of this and this, how do I know if I'm saved? And so there was a great deal of fear. And there was a great deal of uncertainty. And over time this meal became something more than a celebration. It became a magical, mystical meal filled with mystery and superstitious beliefs. There's all kind of superstition about this meal that you read about in those days. And what happened is the church leadership forced people to toe the line and to follow orders. 
And if you, relieve, if you refused to believe it and you rebelled against this, the church pronounced you anathema. Y'all know what anathema means? It means you're cursed to hell. That's what it means. And so people lived in fear. They lived in superstition. And this is one of the main reasons, along with some other ones, that the Reformation took place. Because priests begin to, that were educated begin to study men like Martin Luther and John Calvin and Ulrich Zwingli and some of those guys begin to study Scripture and they thought, saw, hey, salvation comes by, through grace by faith. Okay? It doesn't come through works. Baptism doesn't save you. It is, it's a symbolic picture. Uh, it seals you in a sense. And the Lord's Supper was meant to be a celebration where we remember what Jesus has done. It's our covenant meal. It's not something that, that has uh, the ability to, to make you saved or to keep you saved. In other words, you didn't have to do this every week to stay saved. And they realize that and they begin to protest against it. They don't revolt to form a new church. They revolt in a sense to reform the church they were a part of. Does that make sense? The church they were a part of would have nothing to do with it and basically force them out. That's the only reason there are 10,000 different kind of Christians today. All right? But listen, it didn't get fixed with the Reformation. The Reformation guys, they swung out of this and they went different directions. Some of them believe that, that this is purely symbolic. And some of them believe, no, it's symbolic, but Jesus is present with us when we do this. And so they're still arguing about that today. If, if you go to a, a, a church of a, a different uh, cover, denomination, or whatever, you'll get different views. You, you'll go to some where, where they have one cup, and everybody drinks out of the same cup. All right? They have one wafer. That's fine. They, they, others, they'll, they'll pass this out, and, and you'll notice when you get yours that there's none of those little bitty square crackers. Okay? There's a few of those tasteless wafers in here, and that's for those of you that are uh, gluten intolerant. All right? I can just remember as a kid, there, there, I mean, it was, throw that little square in there, and I'm, I'm thinking, what is that? Because it has no taste. And so I bought some wafers thinking it might be a little bit better. They're like styrofoam. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I, and I'm not making light, and I'm not trying to be religious here. I'm just saying they have no taste. We've got some actual bread, because this is supposed to be a meal that stimulates our, our, our sensory and we're so have an exception. I mean, an an experience. Because every time we do this, it's to remind not just our brain that Jesus died for us, but it's to remind every part of us, our senses, our, our sight, our, our taste, our touch. And so we've reduced it down to we can you know you can even get cups with both things in the you know cup on top and I look I, there's nothing wrong with that I understand when you're serving five or six thousand people during a service you got to do something all right or you're there all day I understand that we just do it a little different okay and so there, there's there's been arguments about this meal and how we participate in it so there's some that argue you got to do this every Sunday. And there are others that say, no, you don't have to do it every Sunday. 
And so there's arguments there. there. There's just arguments everywhere. Jesus didn't intend for us to argue about this meal. He intended for us to celebrate it and to remind ourselves how good He is. And so that's what we're going to do in a few minutes. We're going to celebrate it. Uh, listen, I believe this. Now, I grew up in a, in a, uh, in a denomination that, that 100% believe this is simply symbolic. Okay? I'm okay with that, but I also believe there's something different when we celebrate this. Jesus is present. All right. Now, I don't believe that the, the, the wine or the juice becomes His blood or, or the, the bread becomes His body. I don't think there's any change of substance. It's bread and it's, it's wine, it's juice. But I believe He's, he's there. Okay? I believe He's there. And I believe He's present with us. And I believe that, that when we celebrate this meal, we're drawn together in a different kind of way than anything else that we do. But the reason we don't celebrate it that way is because we don't understand it that way. It's a symbol. It's just a picture of. I, I think it's more than just a picture. But it is a picture. Okay, It's to remind us. It's to remind our minds and, and all of our emotions. Listen. Scripture teaches us that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. And the Spirit of Jesus is here. Alright? You brought the Spirit of Jesus with you when you came, if you know Him. He was already here, and you brought Him too. And so He's present here. The Spirit of Jesus is present here. Uh, it's, this meal is not magical. It's not mystical. What this meal is distinctive and exceptional. Okay? It's a celebration. And as such, every one of us ought to be prepared and we ought to be ready to participate in faith rather than in hesitation or fear. I want you to listen to me for a minute. You should never come to this table afraid. You say, well, I've got sin in my life. Well, then confess it and deal with it. Don't, don't come. I mean, there's no reason to sit back there and, oh God, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. Jesus paid for your sins. If that's the way you feel and that's the state you go into and you tremble about it, you don't understand salvation. You don't understand what the Savior has done for us. Folks, He died to take our sin away. It pleased God to pour out His wrath against sin on Jesus Christ so that we don't endure that wrath. I happen to be one of those guys that doesn't believe in that the wrath of God is going to be poured out on the church to purify him because I don't think the church needs to be purified. Jesus purified the church. Listen, not everybody who says they're a part of the church is a part of the church. That's why the angels are going to sort them out at the end of time. All right? So we don't have to be afraid of the wrath of God. We don't have to be afraid of anger. We don't have to tremble. We can approach this table with joy. This is a, it is a memorial, okay? But it is more than a memorial. It is a celebration. This is a, a powerful meal. It, it, was a, it was meant to deliver us, not to push us into the pit, Father. It, it was meant to set us free, not to, to, not to be a funeral meal. 
It was to remind us of what Christ has done for us. Not to, to remind us that we're just dirty, rotten, stinking sinners. Okay? That's not why Jesus gave us this meal. Do you realize Jesus is not into shame? If you're experiencing shame right now for anything, you're experiencing because you've given the devil a door to work in. He's the king of shame. God doesn't use shame. God uses conviction. Conviction brings about a good kind of guilt. All right? Guilt makes us want to change. Conviction makes us want to change. Shame pushes us down, 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 down until there's no place to go. And we live there. Jesus is not about shame, and this meal is not about shame. This, this meal, as I said, is a powerful meal. This, this meal has the ability, whether you believe it or not, to bring healing. Physical healing. Not just spiritual healing, not just emotional healing, but physical healing. Church history is, 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 is filled with testimonies of that. It has the ability to bring deliverance. From, from bondage. It has the ability to transform us. It has the ability to strengthen us. When Jesus instituted this meal, like I said, it was not to make His disciples feel like dirty, rotten sinners. Jesus was about to die. These were the closest people in His life. These were the men He had poured His life into. His desire was for them to know how much God loved them and how much He loved them. And so that's why He, he gives us that, this meal. It, it was to show them how valuable they were. Not just how valuable their spirits were, but how valuable their souls were and their bodies were. And not just to Him, but to God. And as we partake of this meal today, we're reminded. I want you to think about this for a minute. This meal ought to remind us how much God loves us. How valuable we are to God. You say, well, I'm not worth a whole lot. Well, you're worth what God was willing to pay for you. Okay? What did God pay for you? His Son, Jesus. Can you put a price on Jesus? Because if you can, you have put the price on you. His value is, is incomprehensible. We can't understand it. That's how much value God sees in every one of us. Okay, now that, that doesn't give me the big head, okay? And it shouldn't give you the big head. That humbles me that the God who created everything with a word finds that kind of value in me. That He would allow His Son to die for me. That's why this meal is so important. That's why I choose, instead of calling it a memorial meal, is that I want to call it a celebration meal. Because today we rejoice. We do. We rejoice by looking back at what Jesus did. But at the same time, we're looking forward to something that is going to happen. Jesus is going to come back. Amen. Just one. I saw some lips move. Let me, let me try it again. I don't want you to miss this opportunity, okay? Jesus is coming back. Hallelujah.
Amen. He is. The blessed hope. That's what Scripture says. It's the blessed hope. And on that day, we're going to enjoy not bread and and wine that reminds us of who He is. We're going to stand in His literal presence. It's not just going to be the, the, the infilling of the Spirit. We're going to be in the presence of the King Himself. Okay? I can't even imagine what that must be like. But it's going to happen. And we'll see Him as He is. We'll see Him, you know, we, we won't see the crucified Savior on a cross. We'll see the King that death couldn't hold, that ascended into heaven, and who comes again with the angel armies, okay? That's who we'll see. We'll see the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus, and we miss this very often when we read the accounts in the Gospel, but Jesus made a promise to His disciples that night as they finish this meal. And that promise extends to us. He says this in Matthew 26, 29. He says, But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. That's pretty awesome. You say, well, Jesus doesn't drink wine. You missed the whole point. <laughs> wine is what wine is, and that's what wine means in the Bible. Okay, that's enough. That's as far as I'm going to go with that, but it is what it is. All right? And he says, you know what? I'm not going to drink of this. In other words, I'm not going to participate in this again until we meet again. Until you're in my presence and I'm in yours. And you know when that will happen? Scripture tells us that that's going to happen when Christ sits down with His bride. After He returns and He gathers His bride to Himself. The bride is the church. The bride is, is, we are the individual members of that body that's known as the bride. We We will gather together corporately with our Savior. We will sit around a table which is called the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's a wedding feast, all right? We're going to sit with Jesus and listen, the glasses are going to tip and we're going to eat. We're going to have a party. It's not going to be a funeral meal, all right? It's going to be a celebration. And what I, I, I guess is what I'm trying to say to you, let me, let me read the passage. And John, the angel tells John in Revelation 19, 7 through 9, he says, let us rejoice and be glad. That looks like a celebration to me, all right? He doesn't say, let us shed tears and be sad. He says, let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to Him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has been made ready, herself has made herself ready and it was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, linen, bright and clean for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And He said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. If you don't get an invitation... It's not good, all right? How can I say it? You know, it's it's not good. And so there's going to be a a, a celebration when we sit down with Jesus. And you know what? We're not going to do this anymore. You say, you mean we're not going to have communion and, and the Lord's Supper in heaven? No. Why would we have it? We don't need a symbol anymore. 
We've got the real deal right there with us. That's what this is pointing to. It reminds us of what He did, but it also reminds us that in a day, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, He is coming back. And you don't need to just worry about what I've done. You need to be worried that I am coming and you need to prepare yourself so that you don't get left out like the, 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 the five virgins do that don't have any oil in their lamp. They weren't prepared. So when the bridegroom comes and he gathers up his wedding party and he goes in for the feast, guess what happens? They lock the doors. You know why they lock the doors? To keep anybody that's unworthy or uninvited out. And Jesus is coming back. And when He comes, we're going to celebrate with Him. I don't know what it means to celebrate for a thousand years or ten thousand years or, uh, or, or uh, you know, an eon. I don't understand that because my mind is contained in time. For me, six months is a long, long time. But we're going to celebrate with the Savior forever and ever and ever. And we're not going to get tired of it. We're just going to get revved up more. Okay? I've already told y'all, I'm going to be in the crazy section, all right? <laughs> Where they're swinging on the chandeliers and doing backflips. Y'all go to the section you want to go to. I'm going there, all right? So every time we participate in this meal, we are practicing, in essence, for a moment. How many of you have ever had an event happen in your life that can't be repeated? Birth of that first child. Birth of a grandson. A wedding. Uh, that first wedding. Uh, a, a 50th anniversary. Uh, what else? What's, a, what's something else? Uh, I mean, you know, you graduate uh, from from high school and college and, and 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 you get a PhD. Those are moments that, you know, they can be recreated, but you can't recreate them. I mean, I, I remember when Kathy and I got married, I was in La La Land. I'm just not going to lie to you. I, I don't even know what's going on. But it was it was a moment that I won't ever forget. We we did our vows again when we were married for 30 years. And it was good, but it, or 25 years. We did it at 25. But it, it was not like that. I didn't feel this. I didn't, I wasn't, you know, I, I just wasn't, it was different. So there are moments that you cannot recreate. And listen, we're practicing so that when we get, when Jesus comes back, we can fully enjoy it and understand it. All right? So this is not something we just do so we can sing a song and go to the house. This is something that, that connects us, that, that brings us back to our roots. It, it's, we're practicing for that moment when we sit down with Jesus and we experience in totality what salvation is really all about. Listen, we've been saved from our sin. Amen? We're in the process of being saved. And one day we will be completely saved. That's what Scripture teaches in God's eyes, it's done. Okay? But we're walking it out. Listen, Jesus purchased you. He purchased you sins, faults, warts, and all. Everything. And you're going to be His bride. 
and you're going to spend eternity with Him in glory. Listen, if we can't celebrate that, I'm not sure there's a remedial class in heaven to deal with that. Okay? Just not. That ought to be something that makes us jump for joy. So this morning, we're going to celebrate this meal. And listen, it, it's filled with symbolism. It, it, it really is. But it's a meal that we sit down with and we celebrate with brothers and sisters and we celebrate with our God. And we remind ourselves how good He is, what He's done, and what He's still yet to do. And we look forward with, with the early church. And, and we make that cry that you find in the, in the end of the book of the Revelation. This is not going to be on the screen, but I think you know what it is. It's called Maranatha. Come quickly, Lord. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Maranatha. So I'm going to ask Mitch if he'll come and we're going to uncover this and when we get it, get the table uncovered, um, then I'll get my other servers to come up. Before we uncover it, I, I want to do one thing, Okay. I mentioned at the beginning of this service that this is an open communion, which means the only requirement is you need to know Jesus. Okay? And I don't want to take for granted that everybody in this building knows Jesus. So I'm just going to ask you to bow your heads. If you don't know Jesus Christ, or you're not sure, I want to encourage you right now to just surrender. God's Word says that if we will confess Him with our mouth, that is, that we will believe that, that he, is, he is Lord, that He died on the cross for our sins, and He was raised from, from the grave, and that He's alive right now and sitting at the Father's right hand, and that He's going to return. If we will confess that with our mouth and believe in our hearts, then God will save us. Listen, Jesus loves you. Okay, He loves you. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what crowd you've run with. Jesus loves you. He died for you. And if you had been the only person on this planet, He would have died for you. For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.